Well, what is going on, everybody? Welcome to Unrestricted. I'm your host, Ben Lieber. I hope you guys all had a wonderful, wonderful week. My super special guest this week is Coach Ben Johnson. He is the University of Minnesota Golden Gophers men's basketball coach. He just completed his first year. He's going into his second year, and I tell you what, he has put together quite a program, and um, we talk a little bit about all the transfers that he's got in, all of the the big-time freshmen that he's bringing in, some guys that are coming back from injury. But, you know, this is less about basketball and maybe more about Coach Ben Johnson, him as the person. As If you listen to a lot of my podcasts, I'm, I'm a little bit more curious about the person and the person behind the, the job and the title more so than maybe the, the title itself. But um, I hope you guys all really enjoy just the person that he is. I think that you're going to be wowed by his humility, by his approach in life, his easy demeanor. I don't feel like you're ever going to get a sense that he's going to oversell himself or oversell the program. I think he's a man of, of great morals, great values, and uh, the Gophers certainly picked the right coach. And, and I'm super excited about what he's going to do for the 2022-23 season uh, with the men's uh, basketball team there. So he's a he's a two-sport athlete coming out of high school. We talk a little bit about that, his journey through the coaching ranks as well, starting uh, all the way at University of Dayton back in 2005 and six uh, to where he is now, uh, a first-time head coach with the Minnesota Golden Gophers. So uh, without further ado, I hope you guys really enjoy the man, the person, and the coach that is Coach Ben Johnson right here on Unrestricted. What's happening, Coach? Not much, man. How you been? I'm good. Is it weird that I call you Coach? I'm I'm 43 years old and you're 42, <laughs> and you were never my coach. But but it's like in my mind to call you coach. No, I'm the same way. Um, you know, I could have somebody coach me at a basketball camp, and from then on, they're always coach. You know, I just think I don't know if that's how we think and process stuff, but I think you know, in any capacity that somebody's a coach, that's just kind of how everybody calls them, associates them, and and so on and so forth. So. I know. Do you do you ever? Because I'm sure you have players and younger kids that just call you by your first name. Does it bother you at all? You know, it doesn't. Yeah, I, I think um, you know the old school mentality is, oh, you know, you gotta, you don't call me by my first name, or I'm coach, and kind of that authoritative. But I times have changed, and, and I think you know, um, if you have people's respect and you have players' respect, you know. I don't take that as a negative if somebody wants to call me Ben. I, I almost flip it and, and, and consider it a positive that they're they're comfortable enough and our relationship is comfortable enough because I also think at the end of the day, I, I am trying to grow and develop young men. And, um, you know, to be able to have an adult conversation um, respectfully, whether it's by my first name or by coach, um, you know, I'm good either way. Yeah, it's so funny because my, my rookie year in the NFL – my defensive coordinator, his first name was Dale, and you know all through all through high school and college, it was always every, everybody was coach. Yeah. It's just easy. It's just coach. It's you. You can't offend anybody. And he was a he was the first year with the Chargers, um, and so some of the vets that had already been with the Chargers, they just call him Dale. And the first time I heard him, I'm like, who the hell's Dale? I'm like, what? Yeah. Who's Dale? <laughs> 
And they're like, hey, Dale. Uh, what am I? Golly, they're just calling the they're calling the defensive coordinator just by his first name. Yeah. I'm like, I can't do that, man. I, I just I can't. I thought it was so bizarre. I'd never grown up with it, and um, it is funny now because I'll I'll see you or I'll see let's see let's just, I'll see PJ Fleck out and about him. Hey, coach, like I just have yeah. a hard time calling him PJ yeah. or have a hard time calling you Ben. You can never get it wrong by saying coach. No, it's either. true. You know that's the other thing. That's a comfort. I do the same thing sometimes. If you get stuck, maybe you you don't know a person's name. She's like, "What's up, coach?" Yeah, you know, yeah. it's just kind of a, a, a generic name, but. Um, that's always interesting to me too. You know, I follow pro sports really closely. Um, big football guy. Obviously, love the NBA. Um, you know that that fine line. So, like, you know, in pro sports, what is it? Because now it's grown man on grown man, right? And is coach used as much as it is maybe in college, or is it more? No, nah, man, I'm gonna call this guy first name basis or by his nickname or whatever that might be. That is always interesting to me because um, now I'm trying to process, like, okay, how do those coaches interpret it and what are they good with? And does that change my thought process on it? Yeah. Um, that's always intriguing to me. God, you probably remember, and I can't remember off the top of my head, somebody just said that. Was it an NFL coach? Mike NFL Tomlin co- well, is always Tom- one he's talked about it. Yeah. was that? But, but was that a rebuttal to an actual – I think there was a news story that happened in the NFL where somebody said, you got to refer to me as coach to the media. And then Tomlin, okay. like the next day or something, yes. said. Yes, yeah, that's exactly yeah. what it then, was. Then like the next day or two, he was like, man, you guys can call me whatever you want. Yep, yep. And you I do. really respect, I love. I know you I, mean, I know you love Tomlin. Uh, and, and so that to me, that was interesting because it makes me start to think about, okay, here's a guy who I think is one of the best to ever do it, who I don't think has – there's no doubt he has the respect of the locker room, respect of the league. Mm-hmm. And if he's comfortable enough to act like that and say that and make that comment, why? You know, is it because he is who he is and he can he knows that the respect's there and he doesn't have to earn it? Is that just his personality? Is that what he's learned over time that, okay, you know, to be a quote-unquote player's coach, this is part of it? You know, that's always what's intriguing to me is, okay, why is he a Hall of Famer, the best to ever do it, one of them, okay with that and has no issue whereas some guys it's like no no you're not doing that you know yeah to your point in the media I'm always coach yeah you know it's it's curious and I'm interested that you use that word and and I'm gonna guess look we don't we don't know each other that well but I'm gonna guess here listening to you um with all your comments that you have in in the media and stuff I it sounds like you're pretty introspective the question of why I think is such a is such a fundamental piece of how you improve the hows and the whys. Is that something that you ask yourself with everything? You know, why is that player playing well today? Why is that player not playing well today? Even when you do a self analysis, why did I have a good day today? Why did I have a bad day today? When did you develop that question of asking yourself why? No, I, I, uh, I do it all the time. Um, I think I know that obviously, you know, I'm going to make a ton of mistakes. Everybody is. Um, and, you know, I want to know why, right? And and I know that I'm going to have times where I don't make mistakes and things are good and I want to know why. I think if you're not always trying to improve and almost like reinvent yourself or reinvent your team or your program, man, I think you're missing the boat. That's just me. Um, but I think now I got onto it um, – because there's a there's a, a TED talk I listened to and I think is I don't want to butcher but I think it's Simon Sinek, 
Yeah, I who think talks that's right. about yeah. the why. And this was, man, this might have been 10 years yeah, ago. Yeah, I was going to say, this was a while ago. Yeah, I think at I'd least even, 10. Yeah. And he started talking about the why, and, and, and I was intrigued by it because in coaching, it's forever changing. And with this younger generation, you can't just tell them to do X, Y, and Z and expect them to fully buy in. You have to explain, do this, but here's why. Mm-hmm. And so I just started to listen to him talk about the why, and it just made sense to me. And I'm like, okay, well, why would not I apply this to everything? not just instruction. And so it's just kind of an avenue I've gone down and is, is, it intrigues me. It keeps me um, curious. It keeps me asking questions because I know I don't have all the answers. Um, and I just, for me, it's important. You know, it's something that, um, that I really value. So it's always just trying to dig into like, okay, why did this work? Why did mm-hmm. this play work? As you're, you know, reviewing film, all oh, it worked because they guarded it this way and this way. Okay, why didn't this play work? Or why did we get this recruit? You know, sometimes they even ask him, hey, what made you come here? Right. Because I want to know, you know, each kid's different. It's like, okay, if he's, he might say something that I had not even thought about, well, then we need to implement that in our recruiting tactics. Yeah, that's I so need true. to talk about that. Or, you know, why didn't you come here? I might ask a coach, hey, why, why, what was it about Minnesota that they didn't like? Okay, I need to know that because then we're able to switch it and navigate it, and I just think it helps answer a lot of questions potentially. Yeah, but the other layer to that is when you're asking yourself why or you're asking other people why, especially when you're asking yourself, you have to be brutally honest. You know, you, you, If you're a player and something good or bad happens, and you know it's a lot harder when something bad happens and you have to ask yourself and evaluate, like, well, why did I get yelled at in practice today? you have to be critically you know honest with yourself and raw with yourself before you can even move on to correct the mistake now i know it's probably harder when you're asking uh, why didn't you come to minnesota and like are you really going to get an honest answer i mean you hope to get an honest answer right but um especially when you're asking yourself or asking your players that they got to be you got to be brutally honest with yourself and it freaking hurts man it, it hurts your ego. <laughs> and to do that every day, to do, that's, I think that's when everybody says, like, you got to trust the process. Like, well, the process is, A, it's exhausting. Yeah. And B, um, you don't want to face the music on every day. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody, it's hard to develop that tough skin. It is. And, and um, it took me a while. Um, but I, I'll say this. I'll say I think self-awareness is one of the biggest keys. I don't care what you do or where you're at in life. Self-awareness is so important. And I've really learned that, you know, being now in a leadership position. And, and, and building up to this, I always, you know, you formulate, oh, if I have a program one day, here are, you know, principles or here's core values or here's how I want to run it internally. All of that I've learned through being a player, through what works and what hasn't worked, through being an assistant for seeing what worked and what haven't worked has come down to, in my opinion, the head coach having self-awareness and understanding who he is and understanding what works for him and knowing that like there's a lot of ways to skin a cat. But it's all about the belief in what you have and who you are because then the players feel that. Mm-hmm. And you could have a, you know, a board of 10 core values and you're telling your team, well, if none of those values matter to you or, or only three of them really matter, well, then the rest is fluff and the player's going to sense that. Yeah. Versus if you have, you know, three core values, but like that is your ride or die, everyone in your organization is going to understand that, feel that, and it's going to trickle down and there's going to be positive effects to that. So I think it is. It's, it's having that real conversation of like, here's my strengths. Here's my weaknesses. Here's, here's what I know I'm good at. 
here's what I'm not good at and I got to improve on. And just being aware of that every day and being okay with that. And I think once you, once you've gone down the line of like being able to take those couple tough hits early, you know, then it just gets easier. Then you're just like, you know what? I, okay, great. It's another hit against me. Okay, I get it. And you're able to like move on and adjust. But those first couple, <laughs> it definitely is a little ego blowing. Like, oh man! But then I just think over time, you like to your point, you understand it, and it becomes part of the process of like it's not really a negative. It's just something that I can yeah. flip and, yeah. and make a strength or get better at. Right, and that comes down to experiences as well. Sometimes you can have, unfortunately, kids get bad coaches growing up, yeah. and and they could crush a kid's ego if they are being critical i mean constructively critical but if it's always just negative and you never build this kid back up or whatever like they're gonna say they're not gonna have the positive self-awareness and like they're not gonna want to go through that process because like i'm like why why would i go through a process when all you do is tear me down you yeah. know um i know that you were a fantastic two-sport athlete in high school going back to the self-awareness and kind of like you know <laughs> getting beat up sometimes what taught you is there one sport that taught you more or less the football or the basketball about having that that self-awareness and that that critical thinking mentality oh i think football by far i think i think football taught me so much um in in life in sports in day-to-day you know that was back you know in the in the 90s when you had legit two days i mean you remember when legit, it was you're getting yeah. up at First session starts at like 7.30 and you're going till noon. You have your breakfast or you have your lunch. You come back and you got your afternoon session. It was like for 14 days, for two weeks. It was like legit. But just that that self-discipline of doing that, you know, of, of having a lunch break and you feel tired and you're sore, but you know you, you got to hit in, in, in 30 minutes and being able to mentally get over that mm-hmm. and process that and, and keep going and the bond that that – creates within your team because you're all suffering together you know um it's just taught that you know you're never 100 percent. i think mm-hmm. that was the biggest thing in football that taught me you're never 100 percent, but yet you can still find a way to perform and be successful and again it could be whether it's your health physically it could be you know mentally having to get over a hurdle or an obstacle or something that you don't want to do um you know i don't think anybody well there are some people but I would say even in football, like nobody loves to get smacked, right? No. Right? So no. like, and, and you know that that's part of football. Yeah. So it's, it's just getting kind of over that middle of like, gosh, you know, it's going to come and you, you just got to embrace it. You know, it's part of the, it's part of the deal. Um, so, you know, I would say a hundred percent football. I'm so happy I played just for that. Um, and, and in recruiting, I love guys that are not only multi-sport, but guys that, that are football guys because I just think there's so much you can you can learn from it. Yeah, um, there is nothing like I'm I'm, I'm with you. I, even guys in the, guys in the NFL, it's not a natural thing to hit people and want to get hit, right. <laughs> especially especially on defense. Now there are some guys that just love the contact. I mean, there are guys that are just absolute you know wrecking ball meatheads that just want to smash everything. Sure. But I would say by and large, everybody sort of has to will their way in into into that mindset of like, all right, I gotta go to battle. <laughs> I gotta go hit somebody. You know, it becomes more of your job, obviously. Um, so it's a little bit easier. But yeah, it's not a natural thing. I, I tell parents a lot of times, like, you know, if they're if they're on the fence about whether their kid wants to play football, and I'm like, well, A, just try it. Yep. And B, um, don't get frustrated when it doesn't come naturally. It's not a natural sport. 
No. It's just not. I mean, everything has to be taught. Yeah. You know, basketball, soccer, baseball. I think some of those things now there's there's the finite coordination and a skill, but it's a little bit more natural just kind of like run around with the ball. <laughs> you know, <Yeah. laughs> but, but to get but to get hit by an offensive lineman um, because that's you have to take that gap. Like, yeah, you're not making the tackle. You just got to fill that gap, and you're going to get smashed. <laughs> yeah. Well, I remember, you know, in, in, in peewee football even, um, you know, that first day, you figuring out if you like football or not when mm-hmm. it's the first tackling drill. And you've got, you know, the, the ball carrier's got the ball and the defense, and you're looking one-on-one, and you're trying to diagonally attack that cone. And it's like, all right, either I'm going to get run over or I'm going to make the tackle. And there's going to be a collision at some point. You figure out real quick, like, all right, this is for me. It's not for me. Um, but it, 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 I do. I, I just think all that, um, it just it can carry over into life. And, um, you know, I think there's there's obviously safety stuff with, with football now that I know people talk about. Mm-hmm. But, gosh, uh, I hope it, it's a sport that people continue to at least give a, give a try or give a go um, and do it in a safe way because, I, again, I just – I think that there's so much you you learn from from the sport. Yeah. Did you play defense as well, or is it always so, just kind of wide receiver? Yeah. No, I, we played everything. So at Dima okay. Sal, um, we had a really talented team. We I played with uh, three guys that had that played in the NFL for spurts, um, and it, when we had you know we were a smaller school. Yeah. But we played in a in a in a I think at that time it was two A, which which was a bigger a bigger league. Um, but yeah, no, we played. I mean, you did. It was awesome. You did. I was a cornerback. I was a receiver, punt returner, kick returner, punter. Uh, you played everything. But yeah. that was the fun of it. Like, And everybody did that. It was straight Ironman. We didn't have the numbers. And so, uh, you know, if you were any skill position, you yeah, we, we, we would go down the length of the field. You scored a touchdown, you, you're on kick return yep. or kick off. I mean, it was it was awesome. Um, and it was – I just don't know if you do that anymore. Well, but I you, wonder – I, I kind of look back and – I wonder how do how do we do that? Because <laughs> we did the same thing. I was a small town in yeah. South Dakota. You had to play everything. I was I was the punter as well. Um, yeah, I played offense, defense, and then I look at as I get older, I'm like, I could not imagine oh, playing no. Ironman football <laughs> in college or the NFL. There's no way. No, no. Like I wouldn't have the stamina to do it. Like I'm sure you don't. You, you never remember. I never remember. Maybe on on extra point if we ever did that, like being on the sideline in a football game. If you think about it, like, were you ever just sitting on the bench? You were always involved on one of the teams. Yeah. Yeah, it was pretty – it was pretty – I think maybe – I don't know if I was on the return teams because I was a running back and a mm-hmm. linebacker and a punter. And then, you know, the field goal block and field goal stuff. But I don't think I was on the kickoff return okay. or punt return. Yeah. I think they gave me a break because I was, <laughs> I was, the, I was the running back. So they were like, oh, yeah, you're, you're already running around. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know, but yeah, it now, was. We get we it, it came to hurt us, so we would always advance. And, and like I said, we were we were super talented. Um, and and you know, eventually when you get into playoffs, and you're playing like at that point, it was like Delano and I think maybe Saint Michael. Well, now some of those bigger schools would have offensive team, defensive team. So now you're going against fresh, big, huge bodies um, that were strong and developed, and and that kind of wore us down a little bit a couple of years, but. You know, it was. It wouldn't trade it. So, how often you mentioned that there you you look for guys that kind of play multiple sports when you're recruiting. How many guys are actually playing football though these days? How many basketball players play football? I would say it, it it's more rare than common. Yeah, I think again it goes back to 
some guys are worried about getting hurt. Um, you know, some guys are worried about like, oh, I, I gotta specialize in basketball twenty four seven, three sixty five. So the the guys that I can find that are like that, I just again, I just put so much value on it. Um, and then I also think just when you play multi sports, especially in high school, like to me, when you're in high school, have the full experience. Maybe it's because I tried to do that, and and I thankfully I had you know parents that encouraged that and friends that we we just that's what you did. Um, I think whether that's sticking with the high school or the same school the whole time and not going the prep route, nothing against the prep route, but it is different. You know, it's it just becomes so centralized into a specific sport. Um, you know, you're, you're, to me, your your time in high school is so valuable, and it goes by so quick, and you never get that back. And I think for the majority of kids. You know, if you're really good in high school, hopefully that translates to college. But I think the average athlete that doesn't always translate or you don't get mm-hmm. the same role or opportunity. And we all have a short window to play. And if like if you're if you're in a in a high school situation where you're given a great opportunity, why would you not want that in everything you do? Like if you're a great high school athlete, play it all. Enjoy it. Live it up. Yeah. Because that window is so small. Yeah. And guys think it lasts forever. But then when you go to college, you know. the percentages go down and down and then you go to that next level and percentages go down and down of like what's your opportunity is to 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 be given the green light or to be able to given all this freedom um just take advantage of it when you can yeah and i think you're so right if you if you are especially at these big schools and that's that's the thing that i have to keep myself in check too is i went to a small school just like you did even though you were kind of in the you're in the metro area you know we were a small town everybody had to play everything you know, there was no specializing because we didn't. We you couldn't specialize. So I, I, I do sympathize with these these kids that are going to these high schools that have three, four, five thousand kids. You know, enrollment, and you're like, mm-hmm. well, you got to be really, you got to be elite at that level just to make the high school team. So, but to your point, if if you're a if you're a Joe Mauer and you are every everything that you pick up, you're just good at. Play it all. Yeah. Play it all. Yeah. Like, as a recruiter, you're going to look at that and say, like, oh, he's he's all state in football, basketball, baseball. Well, we're going to recruit him for basketball, knowing that maybe he doesn't have he doesn't he he doesn't have all the skill sets right now, but he's so damn athletic. We'll we'll develop yeah. him. Yeah. We'll, we'll like so no. they they shouldn't get freaked out. They're like, oh my gosh, I got to specialize because all the other guys. And like, no, no, no. If you're a multi sport athlete, especially at a big school, yeah. you're good to go. <laughs> it, oh, there's no doubt. And I, I also think I'll take it even two steps further. I think, um, you know, when, when you play a variety of sports, I think that your body somehow is able to morph and, and prevent injury that way. And maybe I'm crazy. I, I'm not claiming I'm a doctor, but I think, you know, football taught me how to fall, it taught me how to protect my body. Right, it taught me how to brace and how to foul the right way, and I'm using different muscles in football than I would in basketball than I would in baseball, and I just feel like if you're doing the same movements every day, think about it, if you go in the weight room and you lift the exact same lifts yeah. every day, eventually your body's going to break down. Mm-hmm. You need to have that balance. So now it's like, all right, during football I'm using these type of muscles and I'm using this positioning and these angles and these ligaments are getting used. Well, then I flip it and now in basketball I'm using this type of body and mm-hmm. balance, and I think your body ends up becoming stronger 
I could be crazy, but I think it helps prevent injury because you're more durable. Your body's used to just kind of being morphed. It's not like the same motion every single day. Yep. And I think that helps. Um, and, and, and I value that. And then I also think there's a lot to be said for, you know, when I was a kid growing up, whatever was, was on TV, that's what I wanted to go play. Right. I, right. If it was a yeah, spring, whatever season watching, it was, yeah, that's yeah. what you're going to go play. Yeah. And I think what that also did for me is, is it, it made the new sport that I was entering in, I was hungry because I hadn't played it in a while. So I was excited. I was motivated. You know, you don't want to get in a world where it's just like so routine and mundane that it becomes boring mm-hmm. or you just get into a just, okay, well, here, we're going to go do this again and we're going to do this drill and there's no excitement anymore. You know, sometimes you got to miss it and you got to get away from it to, to get the love back. And, and I like that. And, I, and, and again, you get to college, especially the pros, I mean, it's, it's 24-7. You're going to mm-hmm. get it enough. You don't want that burnout to start you know, as a sophomore in high school already because you've been doing it since fourth grade. You know, Again, those days of like, hey, man, whatever I'm watching, I'm going out in the backyard. Or I'm trying to get my friends. I'm going to play it. I think it just keeps it fresh. Yeah, and there's, there's a point where you're – when you go from sport to sport for whatever, you know, whatever season that it is, you kind of hit the accelerator a little bit. You know, yeah. you, you ramp it up because you're excited and you're motivated and all that stuff. But if you're doing the same sport, I couldn't imagine, honestly, for my brain, I could not imagine playing football or just basketball year round yeah. because I don't, I think that you need to have those cyclical deals mentally where you hit the gas pedal, you're super excited, you're, you're, you're open to learning, you're open to development, and yeah. then you probably taper off and plateau a little bit as the season goes along. But if you're always sort of plateaued, yeah. There's no room. For, when do you hit the accelerator? Yeah. When do you open your mind up for development? You're like, I, I'm no longer curious because I've been doing this the whole year. You know? 100%. No, exactly. You're exactly right. And, and I think that is important. I think curiosity and excitement is, is so And experimentation. Key. Uh, How 100%. much of your development is just like, let me try this. Yeah. Let me try this move right here. Yep. Hey, I, I saw this, I, whatever. Let's call it the Euro step because that's like the new big thing or whatever. Not, mm-hmm. no, not necessarily so new, but- as a kid, to be doing that in season, it's hard to do that because yeah. you're practicing, you're getting ready for the next game, whatever, and maybe you're sore. But in the off season, or you're ramping up, like that's the time when you just mess around with your buddies yeah. on the playground. You're like, let me try this Euro step thing. Yeah, and it's okay to fail there. Oh, 100 percent, hundred percent. I think that you know, failure, failure is growth, and um, if you're not pushing yourself and trying those new things, uh, just it's really hard to get better. Yeah, it's really, or it's really hard to see where you're at even, or to see where you could possibly take something if you're not putting yourself out there. And I get that. It's hard to do. You know, no one wants to look foolish or, you know, in, internally you're going, God, I'm, I'm not good at this move or whatever it is. But if you don't attempt it and you don't put yourself out there, you're never going to know. Yeah. Was it a, did you grapple with the idea of playing football versus basketball in college? Was it a hard decision, or did you, or did you know, like, nah, I'm going to Northwestern to play basketball? Nah, it was it was hard because, like I said, you know, I, I was a huge football guy. I mean, um, you know, college, NFL, yeah. I, I, I again, self awareness. Like, if I knew pro ability wise, it was way more football than basketball. Mm-hmm. You know, for some of it, you know, not that I'm saying I was great or anything, but football is just different. Like, you know, I was. I was a tall receiver. There's not a ton of them. You know, I was, I was quite, I could catch, I could run. I was fast with pads on it. it you know, for me that, yeah, that would have been the easier path if you're talking about the pro career, but I also knew me and knew after I took a couple of visits and knew just as I got older, 
football is a different beast. And, um, you know, are you willing to, you know, it's winter seven on seven. It's spring football. It's summer. And then finally you get to fall. You know, you can't just go somewhere and, and, and pick up uh, 11 guys and go 11 on 11 and play, you know, pick up football. No. It just doesn't happen. Mm-mm. You know, so it's like, do you love the weight room? You know, are you etern- in- internally driven to, and, to and love you? the weight room? And did you? I, I didn't mind it, but I didn't love it. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, like yeah. I, I, it was, I was good with it, but I didn't like, yeah. I wasn't like, oh, I need to get stronger. Yeah, but your, at your position, I don't, I don't know a lot of guys that are, you know, corners and, and wide receivers that are, are meathead weight room guys. Right. They right. do it just enough to stay in shape. Exactly. And, and, you know, did I love the idea of for however long in the winter just doing seven on seven and just running routes on air and stuff like that? It's like, no, I'm used to always, you know, playing. And for me, basketball is, is year round. It's easy. You can you can work on your game all the time. You can find one on one, three on three, five on five. It's it's easier, obviously, on your body, you know. And I thought about that. Somebody, you know, I was I was I, I took a couple of visits and somebody just said to me, they said, Hey, I'm not telling you what to do, but um, they said, you know, most guys go to college with the idea of I'm playing college football to make it to the NFL. You don't yeah. – you know, a lot of guys don't play college football and just say, oh, because I just love it. Mm-hmm. Like there's an end goal. And he just said, also look at the NFL. Name me a player that plays that hasn't had a significant injury. And they just said, you have to start processing that that's part of football. Mm-hmm. You, you have never been injured before. You're going to have to be good with having a significant injury and being able to – Recover, rehab, and then continue to play. Are you built for that? And I just looked at, I was just like, man, like there's a lot of things that I kind of like to do, or just were like, eh. And and when you get to that college, I was like, I don't, I don't want to be in a situation where I'm doing something that you know, thirty percent of me loves to do. Yeah. And so uh, I knew I loved basketball. Um, I loved everything about it. Uh, and so for me, it, it eventually, it was that self awareness of like, okay, yeah. I know, you know. Money-wise, a smart probably play would have been football, but I knew that I would have been there and I would have been into it and been like, this is, this is not me. Yeah. So. Well, you're very fortunate and lucky to have, to have an option. Yeah. You know, not, not a lot of guys, um, I mean, myself included, I wasn't good enough in any other sport where I could have played in college. Now, maybe if I was going to play at a lower level, but, you know, for me, I just had one opportunity to play right. Division One. I'm like, uh, I'm going to go do that. <laughs> and, and I think in, a, in some way I'm glad – I'm glad nobody in my situation came up to me and said all those things to you about, hey, do you realize that this is what the year looks like? This is what I just kind of went into it blindly and and was like, uh, yeah, cool. You're going to give me a scholarship? Sure, I'll I'll I'll, I'll go here and play and play this you know this reckless sport. Um, <laughs> if they would have said, hey, the injury rate's a hundred percent, right? You don't know right. which one it's going to be, but it's a hundred percent, and uh, you're going to do this all this mundane stuff in the off season, and you're going to have no life other than football. It's <laughs> <laughs> it's true, man. It's, said, it's, I it's, don't know. I, I'll never forget. So I go to Northwestern my freshman year, and that's when. Um, Coach Barnett, I mean, they had just come off like a Rose Bowl. I mean, they were rolling. They had pros on top of pros and were in the weight room, and there's a running back. I remember Damian Anderson. Okay. Who was uh, – he was up for the Heisman, actually, at one point. Um, he was there in the weight room, and, and you know, he had – we kind of knew who I was, and, and we were in there talking. We somehow oddly developed a, a relationship. You know, he's a football mm-hmm. guy, a basketball guy, but we, we developed a relationship. And, you know, he's just talking about, you know – how he loved basketball and was so jealous of like what I was about to be able to do and the opportunity and, you know, was just, I could go on and on. I'm looking at like, dude, you're, you're a thousand yard rusher, like in the big 10, 
you know, you got a chance to do crazy things and all you're talking about and want to know about is football, football, football. And, you know, there's another kid, Napoleon Harris, Napo. Yeah, yeah, I came out with Napo. Oh, no, yeah, so Napo. Yeah, same, same draft class. So he, he he thought he was a basketball player. And he actually, you know, played for a year. and um, But, like, he was always in the gym trying to get up shots, wanted to play five on five. And those guys would always tell me, like, dude, the only reason I'm doing this is because I got a chance to make the league. Otherwise, there's no chance. And so I just knew then I was like, okay, I made the, I yeah, made you the, made right, the right choice. Decision. You made, I the, made right. the right choice because if these guys who are the best at what they do are saying it, it's like I know I'm not built for it. So I was like, thank God. Unrestricted is proud to partner with Jack's Cafe, an iconic Minneapolis steakhouse family owned since 1933. That's four generations of Minnesotans who have made their memories at Jack's Cafe. If you're looking for a date night, a family night, happy hour, a place to eat and drink before or after a game, or just a boozy weekend brunch, head on over to Jack's Cafe in Northeast Minneapolis. Need something more private? Well, Jack's has five private dining spaces for groups ranging from 25 people all the way to 250 people, and you have to see their new outdoor dining space. Rain or shine, it's the freshest new outdoor hangout spot. Just make sure to bring your appetite. This original steakhouse has all the essentials. Steaks, chops, ribs, their famous prime rib. But if you're in the mood for fish and seafood, well, Jack's has you covered. Take your pick of fresh lobster right from the live lobster tank. And Jack's has a one-of-a-kind trout stream right in the backyard. Yep, you want fresh trout? You can hand-select and net the trout that you want. I guarantee you've never tasted something more fresh. So make your way to Jack's Cafe and check them out at jackscafe.com. That's J-A-X-C-A-F-E.com. An original steakhouse serving steaks, not trends. You know how many guys that I've played with that all think they're hoopers? All, I mean, <laughs> it, it is, I would say... If if the NFL allowed players, active players, to form a, a summer league, I bet you'd have eighty percent of the guys in the league oh, that sure. would sign up. Yeah. yeah. Now, I mean, obviously, there's there's injury risk, all that <laughs> stuff. There's so many guys hoop dreams. I've got hoop yeah. dreams, and they and they all think they're hoopers. Yeah. And I think back, I think back not too long ago, they used to go to Lifetime uh, before I was even a Viking. They used to, I think Moss and those guys, they'd go to oh, Lifetime, yeah. they'd play pickup games, and it kind of got shut down because guys were rolling their ankles and all this other stuff, blowing, you know, blowing out knees, and yeah. and um, they're like, you get paid to play football, <laughs> you know? <laughs> but get it. so many dudes in the locker room all think that they have NBA game. We see it all the time, and I think basketball, all of us either want to be the quarterback, mm -hmm. and, and hey man, let's go, let's go, let me go uh, run around, I'm going to show you my arm, or you want to be receiver, or you want to be the cornerback, and it's, it's the one on one. It's like, oh, let me run this corner route, or let me, oh, you can't, you can't cover me. So it's that, it's that kind of the yin and the yang. It's the vice versa, but you definitely see it. Do you ever do anything with uh with the Gophers football team as far as like doing doing some sort of cr cross games? I mean, not even not obviously training, but you guys ever been? Hey, let's let's have some guys go against uh, some actual D one DBs. No, you know, I I would love it because actually last summer. Um, we did some conditioning on the football practice field, yeah. and the end of it was uh, basically guys, you know, were going one versus one, and were trying to be covered. And you know, we had a couple of guys. I thought they were Randy Moss, and oh yeah, he, the, the one kid makes the one throw in the corner of the end zone, and somehow you know he catches it, and they go nuts. And I just told him, okay, you guys are all talking a lot right now. But if you get one-on-one -on -one with a guy that actually does this, you're not even getting off the line. Yeah. Or you're not getting five yards. And, and like, you know, you don't realize that 
okay, now the quarterback has 10 seconds to throw the ball. So, like, you better get open, right? But in real life, like, you, you got to get open in three seconds. Otherwise, it's over. Um, so we joked about, you know, getting those guys to – to come out and and kind of go one versus one that way, and so they can really see it. But we haven't uh, we haven't. Done you guys got to do that. You guys got to <laughs> set something. If if anything else, because we did this all the time with our offense alignment and defense alignment. As as far as a, you know, you get out of, you get out of practice, or we're skipping meetings if they can feel the punt. Mm-hmm. You need to get some of your guys out there full oh, full gear. That's real now. Helmet, shoulder pads, at least you know at least the uppers because it doesn't matter if they have leg pads on, and either either get the Gophers punter out there or go off the jugs and see if, hey hey guys, you guys think you're all players? All right, if you catch so many balls, so many so many punts, then we'll get out of practice. Yeah, no, that's or, a good or idea. something. That's a good idea. Because because I mean even think about. They have no idea a how hard it is to oh, even so judge hard. the flight oh, of the ball. So hard, but that's without anybody rushing at yeah. you. Yeah, I mean that was the worst thing about high school. They're always blocking for punts. So like <laughs> you're back there as a ten man walking. I'll never forget. We had uh, my buddy Lecon, who was the other running back. You know, there were times where like we would look at each other and it was alternating like who was going to return the punt. It was like, no, bro, you got this one. Like (laughs) these guys, I know these guys ain't blocking, man. I'm good. You know, if you get a good or a decent high school punter, you're back there with the fear of God in you going, oh, my God. Like looking at the rush, looking at the ball, looking at the rush, looking at the ball. And it's like, here we go. It's so true. (laughs) I I look at punt returns like you guys are some dudes, man. I would I would never feel the punt in a real game ever. No. And, and you're right, especially in high school, nobody blocks. No, no, no. <laughs> no you're on your own. You can't catch that thing, and there's army six guys right there, and it's. But even in the NFL, like no one even knows with nobody running at you, the height of that ball and be able to to judge it with a helmet on and move. It's hard enough. It's hard enough, you know. And then to be able to to catch it and go, yeah. I, hats off to those guys. Yeah, you got to do it. Yeah, <laughs> you gotta do it. You gotta find. You gotta. You gotta get those guys out there because I. You know that they're gonna be talking so much trash to each other. Each other. Yeah, and then you gotta get them yeah. out there in that in that competitive environment. Well, even to the jugs machine. To your point, it's like okay, let's crank that thing up to a decent velocity. It's like all right, fellas, you think that you want to like be a receiver and catch? Oh, a ball? Oh yeah, try to catch one of these you, things. Stand like seven yards away, and I'm gonna throw this thing. And this this jugs ball is coming at you. Like it gets real, real quick, real quick. You know? Yeah, they're gonna be they're gonna be asking to put a helmet on. Oh yeah, for sure, <laughs> for sure. That live boss humming, it's like that. That's the NFL. That's college football. Oh, you know, yeah. you coming out of a break and that thing's already in the air. You better get that head around because that ball is gonna be on you. But yeah. that's real life. It's not like you have all this time. What no. you guys think you have? Yeah. Uh, no, it's real. No, I I couldn't. Those guys do that after practice all the time. They do it with no helmets on, helmets on, and they'll start. You know, they do, they do the whole like ten yards away. And then ever for every catch, oh, they take man. a half a step oh, or a yeah. step forward. And then next thing, they're like two feet away yeah. from this thing. Like, oh. I'm like, oh god, <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, never. I would never do that. No, no. yeah, the the hands on these guys are ridiculous. Although, although, especially now that my my kids are are getting involved in like flag football and stuff. These gloves that they wear. <laughs> oh, gonna... come on. I mean, I got an eight-year-old that knows how to do a one-handed OBJ catch yeah. because the gloves are so tacky. No, it's it's crazy. Actually, um, so so when I got done playing, it was the same year that Antonio Gates from Kent State yeah. made the conversion. And so it was kind of a thing, you know, the basketball, the football. And there was a coach that recruited me out of, out of high school to Michigan that worked with Tampa Bay. And he actually convinced me to to do a couple of pro days. So I actually did two uh, college pro days, and I remember uh, they gave me gloves. 
and I had never, you know, I wore gloves in high school, but they were the fake, you know, the Franklin baseball yeah, gloves, right. you know, yep. you just wore them to look cool. But so I put on these gloves, and the first ball thrown to me, I caught it one handed. I was like, wait, what? And I didn't, you know, because I didn't know. I'm like, oh my God, like, what is, what is this? Yeah. And it's the ability to, like, you can do whatever. Yeah, you felt bionic. You're oh, like, was, oh my it was, God. It was a joke. Not to take anything away from, you know, the Odell Beckhams, because those guys are amazing, but. To to your point, those gloves, it's insane. Insane. The the stick that that comes with those. I know. Yeah. I if you you find me a, a high caliber wide receiver that doesn't wear gloves, yeah. you've got my respect. Like, dude, you've got some amazing hands. It's kinda like um kinda like uh, uh Vlad Guerrero Jr., the baseball yeah. player. Dude, no gloves. Yeah. Just like his dad. Yeah. He gets up to the plate. <laughs> love it. He's got no gloves, oh, yeah. just naked hands. I'm like, God, I love that. And he just hits bombs. Oh. I'm like, yeah. You've got no gloves on, and not that it may, maybe it doesn't make a huge difference in baseball, but I'm sure it does. I'm no, sure the, glo- does. I'm sure the yeah. glove technology is just as good in baseball as it is in football. The feel, the vibration. Yeah, the vibration. You know. Yeah, that dude's going up there with no gloves on, like he's the man. So what's your? Which I, I always find this interesting. What's your take on? So there's two things that that I've never understood with football. Um, what is your take on like the measurements of guys? So you, guys that go to the combine, mm-hmm. whether it's hand size true height, uh, you know, all those measurements that they do. A, do you think that impacts, um, you know, whatever their draft status should be? It's always curious. And then also, when scouts go and watch a pro day, to me, there was always a difference. And and I wasn't – I was never going to wow you in my 40 time. Mm Mm-hmm. But put me in pads and put you in pads, I'm faster than you. Mm-hmm. And I feel like there is a difference between, you know, when, you, when you're going one-on-one and you got no helmet on, no shoulder pads, whether you're a quarterback, being able to throw it is way different. And, and being a receiver to go get it, you're restricted by, by your pads. Or, yeah. or just there's different things you yeah. can do. I'm always curious of, like, it doesn't seem as game simulated to me sometimes when they do that. And I just, I don't know. You, you When I've talked to a lot of scouts and evaluators they they all just they all know it's kind of silly how much the public puts on all these private workouts it doesn't mean that much they just they really just want to see the body mechanics they want to see like all right does everything marry up you know they've already watched a thousand hours of film on this player so they know that if you've got game speed they know if you can catch then they've seen you in every situation now they just want to it's all just confirmation it's like okay He's le- he's legit four three. Yeah. Okay, cool. I I saw it with my own eyes. It's almost like they have to validate it with for themselves. You know the whole you know blind faith thing that we find in other in other areas of life. Like no no no, they need to see it. Yeah. Like they, it has to be a tangible thing that they have to see and touch. And then you know with all these, you know maybe not so much, so much the pro day because you don't have a ton of one on one time. But you know the combine. It's all about the medical evaluation. Does a guy check out all all the medicals and then the sit down like you and I are doing, you know, and and to find out if this guy is has the football IQ because now they get a little more intense. They'll they'll sit down and they'll put on film of this player and say, all right, he, here's this game. What can you tell us about this play? And they want the the player to be like, oh, well, this is a, um, you know. I was in a wide split, you know, the, the, the call didn't call for that, but based on the defensive lineman, I knew I had to get a little bit wider split. You know, I saw the safety. They, they just want to hear you communicate yeah. that stuff. Yeah. All the other stuff is like, now, if you go out there and shit the bed, no, if you go out there and you're running routes and you're doing like some of the stuff and you're dropping balls, right. then it's like, uh. so it's, I think it's kind of like anything in life. 
if you're on the fringe, either like you test out better than anybody else, you're going to elevate your draft status no matter what. But if you go out there and you're, you're on the other side of it and you flop and you're a terrible interview, yeah. then it's like, well, all the stuff in the, on, on Saturday that we watched, like we're not taking a chance on this guy because the, the long-term forecast of you being a great player and getting a return on investment is probably not very high. Yeah. So every, all the 80% in the middle, yeah, it's fine. That you know, it, it, I'm sure you see it all the time too when you guys are evaluating players. Like, yeah. A, can you play? I'm gonna watch all your high school tape. Dude, this dude can play. Now you have to measure that to like, what's the competition level they're playing against? You know, what type of system they run, and all those other variables. Yeah. And then you get them to work out, and you're like, all right, if this matches up, his verticals there. You know, his short area quickness is there. His 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 vision and his awareness is there. All right, good. We're good. Checks all the boxes. Yeah. I'm I'm guessing it's probably the same. Yeah, yeah. I think the 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 hardest thing, you know, is you, you obviously want and you need talent, you know, and that's why they do the testing because they want to know what your where your talent bar is at. You, you need that, but then too, it's the wrestling match of okay, maybe this person is crazy talented. They te- their numbers are insane, but do they have football in them? Mm-hmm. So for us, it's like okay, you might see a great athlete. That man, God, he, he's out there. He covers so much ground. He plays above the rim. He's long. He's got all that stuff. He tests great, but he's got limited basketball in him. Hmm. And now for me, you got to make that decision of like, okay, what weighs more? Because we got to win games. And if that isn't like a, a, a translation of that talent to basketball, it's really tough. You know, so now you almost look at it like, okay, what what skill do you have that's going to translate, mm-hmm. and how do you impact winning? You can't just be a guy that's a great talent that has all this stuff, and God, your numbers are great, and you look great in warmups, and you're unbelievable in the layup line. But then when we get to five on five, it's like you have no basketball, or we get to a point where now you're playing in the half court in the in league play, and you can't get anything done because you have limited basketball. Mm-hmm. You might have all the great other stuff. But at some point, you know, you got to impact winning and it's got to translate. And so I think we, as a coach, you're always trying to – those skills and those numbers matter to to a degree, obviously. Talent matters, but you, you got to be able to impact winning and, and you got to have basketball in you. How do you how do you filter out – because going back to the, the combine analogy with the NFL, the, the players are – they're coached. Mm-hmm. You know, verbally they're coached. You know, they know – all the agents know you're going to go in these meetings. These are, the, these are the type of questions you're going to get asked. And this is how you answer. So it's – they're coached through it. I'm, I'm guessing that because in basketball, these kids are being looked at in middle school. And along the way, they're kind of probably taught sort of how to handle themselves. You know, they – over repetition, they get asked similar questions. How do you filter through the bullshit? Like how do you know if a player really likes – like – Dude, you, your passion is basketball, or you're just giving me some cliched lines. Yeah, I think the the more time that you can spend developing the relationship helps, because I really believe over time people will tell you who they are. You just got to pay attention. So that could be now through social media. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's a that's a really good key. You know, if if a person is constantly on social media, and a lot of times it's it's fluff or it's stuff that, you know, is either immature or just nonsense, then I think, you know, the flake factor could be a little bit higher mm-hmm. versus if their social media is pretty clean and it's not uh, every five-minute thing and there's substance to it or there's like a general message or pattern, 
then you're like, you know what? Wow, this person's probably got it together. They're a little bit more serious, a little bit more about their business. And then I just think the more that you're able to be around them in different environments, the more you're about to, you, you got to ask questions about people around them. You know, you got to go with your gut too. You know, you get, it's where you got to know people. And I think, you know, whether it's through face-to-face or just through you know, FaceTime or just phone conversations, you'll get a general vibe for somebody and, and who they are mm-hmm. and if they're sincere or not, and especially over time. And, you know, people, they, they, they can't fool you if you pay attention. And so I think that's what it is. It's just it's doing your homework, but it's really it's, it's paying attention because people are going to tell you good or bad, you know, what they're about and who they are. And so it's about, it's about exposure and repetition of being around this this player i mean i guess that's yeah. Yeah, you gotta you gotta put the time and that's the hardest thing about the portal now is you know it's it's like speed dating yeah so you know you might have two weeks to make a decision or a month to make a decision well you better do your background homework you better be in constant communication you better ask tough questions you, you have to get the vibe right early mm-hmm. and and then you know i think if if it's going away or you get a vibe of like man this is this doesn't fit our locker room or doesn't fit me you got to get out right away cuz you don't have time to waste right. i think you got that again this is where you got to have self awareness it yeah. just goes back to that like okay what are you about as a program what are you about as a head coach especially during a a, a quick recruitment um and you got to stick to those guns because you you can't waste time yeah i don't i don't want you to i'm going to ask this question and i don't want it to be that you're diminishing or downplaying any other players, um, but is there a player or two that kind of fits the mold of like this dude has the passion for basketball? Like you, you know, when you when you say in a football sense, do they love ball? Like, is there a guy on your team right now on the top of your head like this kid loves ball? It doesn't have to be like a starter. It doesn't have to be a guy that you really count on. Maybe it's just a role player. Maybe it's a bench guy. Like, but this kid loves ball. Yeah, no, I, I I'm fortunate. You know, that is that is one thing in recruiting that we hammer. And I, I will tell families, coaches, players, you know, if you don't love it, you're going to have a hard time here. And it's not because we, we don't do anything over the top. Yeah. We don't do anything crazy. But, you know, when we go, we go. And, and it's important to everybody in our building. And if it's not important to you, it's going to show real quick. And we have a, a team of guys that get in the gym on their own all the time. And you'll get exposed if you're not built like that. Mm-hmm. And then my our players will look at me like, you know, who is this guy? Mm-hmm. You know, we we this is not what we're about. This isn't going to work. And so that's really important. Thankfully, you know, we have a room full of just hungry kids. I mean, from Trayton Thompson, who didn't play much as a freshman, who's in the gym all the time, to Jamison Battle, to Isaiah Enan, to you know Dawson Garcia, who come in. Um, you know, brain care, all the freshmen, you know, the guys that are local, you know, they watch it, they talk about it. I love that, you know. Um, you know, we've got transfers uh, that are going to be new that haven't hit campus yet, but they're hitting me about the playoffs all the time or asking for, you know, hey, what are some pointers in ball screen coverage if they're a guard or, what, you know, what coach, what do you think I can improve on? And the hunger is there. So, mm-hmm. like, you know, not to not answer the question, but um, – you know, but you've we, got several players. That yeah, love we it. Ha- we have, and it's I can't. You know, Parker Fox, who didn't even play this past year, you know, did the whole rehab. And I know it was killing him. Um, now he's healthy, and he's just he's living in the weight room, living in the gym. 
You know, and again, same thing with Isaiah Enan. Those guys sat out with injury, and now that they're healthy, they're back playing. And Isaiah was a kid, and I've told him this. I, I, I know he liked it. He had a little bit of rough go. I don't know if he loved it when I first took the job, mm-hmm. right? I think he had kind of, it, it had, because of his experience, it had kind of fizzled a little bit. He still enjoyed it, but I don't know if he loved it, loved it. Well, a year being out of it, seeing the guys that we have in our locker room, now you can see that love is starting to come back. And Isaiah's doing stuff that, I, honestly, I don't think a year and a half ago he would have done in terms of, you know, asking for film, asking hmm. questions, you know, being in there morning, noon, and night. I don't know if he would have done that, but I do think, you know, to our players' credit, the environment that they've created, it can kind of morph and transform guys, and and you kind of fit that because you know if you don't, you'll get exposed. Or if everybody's doing it, you don't want to stick out, you're going to do it. Mm-hmm. And and so it's great to see a guy like that that's that's in it now and, and that environment is, is right. So, you know, again – We've got a committed group, and and now that's the the fun part is as a coach, you've got that. It's like now it goes back to the why. All right, how do we? Why are our guys like this? Okay, they're bought in. Why are they bought in? Okay, because because we've set the table this way. They've bought into that. Okay, we can't we can't lose that as a staff. Mm-hmm. All right, why why do guys enjoy being in the gym uh, with our coaching staff? Because that's not the case all the time. Sometimes yeah. I've been places where you know players will duck coaches. Or, you know what I mean? They see a coach come it's out true. the hallway and they're it's at the elevator and they're like, yeah. oh, I'm going to scramble. I'm going to get out of here. I don't want to I don't want to meet this coach or talk to him. Well, I don't want that. So, like, why are our guys not like that? What 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 is our environment doing that doesn't create that? All right, we need to tap into that and keep that going. Um, you know, and, and again, I, th- I think, too, it's it's having a guy like a Parker who's kind of a, who's a big-time extrovert, who's his own guy, you know, it loosens everybody up. And just kind of his way about him creates that where there's not that, you know, stuffiness with the mm-hmm. staff or with the team. And now that opens up the doors for everybody. And, um, you know, that type of environment, I think, especially now in today's day and age with kids, it's beneficial. Yeah. And I've heard you speak glowingly about Enan several times. Now, being a 6'10 guy, you think that he has true true guard skills as as well. Like he seems sounds like one of the most versatile players on your team. As long as you know, obviously the knee's got to check out and he's got to be healthy. And it sounds like he's even more committed than he ever has been. So it sounds like this dude's going to be a player for you. Yeah. Hopefully, no. I, and and again, you know, I've I've tried to tell Isaiah this, and and I told my staff this the other day. You know, his impact is going to be it, it's it's because of who he is and his size and his versatility. It's different than than most players I've ever had. You know, he's not a guy that has to go out there and get points. Right. And I try to tell him that. Like, you're not a guy, and you're you're not going to help our team, and you're not going to make the NBA because you're going to go out there and get 20 a game. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, if you did that, you know, great. Right. But that right. that's not that not necessarily determines your success rate. You know, you're a guy like at 6'10", if you can guard the point like Pippen used to do back in the day, full court. Like, that's different. You know that's gonna that's gonna impact our team. That's gonna that's gonna put you on the radar because you just don't see that anymore. Um, if your versatility to guard one through four, one through five, even that's different. That's a separator for you. You need to be a guy that can get. You know, if you can get eight to fourteen points, you can also get you know four to eight rebounds. You're a guy that doesn't turn it over, and you can get you know two to three steals. You get in three or four assists. Yeah, be scrappy. You're, 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 scra- you're that guy. 
And so his bar is going to be different, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it, the versatility piece is what it separates him at, at his size. You just – you don't – it's like football. You look at his measurables, there's a lot of guys at the next level that look like him. Mm-hmm. That's half the battle. I tell recruits that all the time. If you can't find somebody at the next level that looks like you or his game is a little bit like you, it's going to be a lot harder because the NBA doesn't necessarily always take different. They they take with, okay, what's the trend right now or what's mm-hmm. working right now, you know? Unfortunately, if you're a seven-foot true five that, that can't shoot, there's not a guy like that. That's not the NBA right now, yeah. you know? Yeah. So you better, you better figure it out. But if you're that versatile piece – and again, you can't find six ten with seven plus wingspan that moves like a guard. You don't you just don't find that all the time. But the ones you do find, they're the ones on TV. And so, you know, the message to him is, you know, again, you, you, your your success rate is going to look different. You can't mm-hmm. judge yourself on Jameson, mm-hmm. right? Jameson was our leading scorer. He's a he's a straight bucket. He, he knows how to make shots. His success rate is going to look different. That doesn't mean it's better. That doesn't mean it's worse. It's just different. But their value is both equally as high. Same thing with Dawson Garcia. Like yeah. Dawson's value is not better than Isaiah or Parker's. It's just different. You know, Talon Cooper is going to come in as a point guard. His value is not greater than anyone on the team. It's just it's different. Mm-hmm. And then that's when you try to find, you know, kind of roles and how you impact winning and how you help our team. Yeah. And that I was just going to use that, that word. That's, that's just getting guys to buy into what their role is. And obviously that's the challenge for any coach, not just in, in basketball or you or here with the Gophers. That's, that's you know, in football, whatever. Like, look, we, everybody wants to be the superstar. Everybody wants this. But, hey, you're an offensive lineman. Your job is to play this role. And now just be the freaking very best at doing it. Um, you know, the, the thing about – look, I, I don't admittedly follow a ton of the NBA. I mean, I watch it kind of on the outside looking in a little bit. But um, – when you talk about Enan, I look at a guy like Draymond Green, who I know that they probably don't maybe have the same personality, and they don't play, maybe play with the same roughness. I'm just I'm assuming, but I I love watching Draymond Green play because he does everything. Wh- whatever you want him to do, he'll do it, and he does it with this enthusiasm. You know, sometimes with the you know sort of an asshole on the court. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. But you look at that guy, and and he's not going out scoring you know, 25, 30 points a game. He's had a long NBA career. And it's like, dude, Isaiah, if you if you go out there and you could, you could f- at the end of your career, you might look back and say, I played 15 years in the NBA because I was able to do whatever they wanted me to do. Yeah. It, it's funny, too. You look at, at Draymond, he's won NBA titles. Mm-hmm. He's going to be on the cusp of being a Hall of Famer. He's going to play in the league forever. He's maxed out. Like financially, what he's made is insane. Mm-hmm. And you look at his numbers, and it's not, again, his success rate is defined differently. Yeah. Because you look at his numbers, he's not out there getting 20, no. but he impacts winning. Mm-hmm. Everything he does impacts winning. And if you're going to win a championship, you need to have a guy like Draymond. So now it's being able to, for our guys, to, like he's a great example of like, fellas, this is the highest level of success. Now take away his picture. You look at that stat line. It's probably not wowing anybody in no, this room. No. But then all of a sudden you put the, the picture, the face to it, and you're going, oh, oh, that was Draymond's stat line? Yeah, because this is what matters at the end of the day. And if you do that, you can become a winner, and you can also get paid, which is what guys want to do. Yeah. And you can also be in the league for a long time. 
And so it's again, it's it's finding those examples of buy-in of like those. This is what matters. Mm-hmm. There's only going to be one or two Steph Curry's or Kevin Garnett's or you know whoever Michael Jordan's, right? But you can still have a a significant piece and role on a team if you buy in and you impact winning. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think sometimes that gets lost where everybody gets fixated on the one John Morant who's right. the one percent, right. who's the freak, but. There's a lot of pieces on that team that help Ja and help that team win that are going to be in the NBA for a long time, are going to be successful, and are going to get paid. Yeah. And I think at the end of the day, that's what it's about. It's like, okay, do you want to have a big ego and try to be something that you're not and not make it? Or do you want to be humbled, understand who you are, understand what can get you there, and to your point, be really good at that? And be elite at that, and be one of the best in the world at that, mm-hmm. and have a 10, 12 year NBA career. Yeah, you know. No, do you? I know it's it's difficult because with young guys, you don't want to you don't want to necessarily pigeonhole them or make it seem like you're putting a, some sort of ceiling on them. But do you ever have those conversations with, let's say, like a guy like Isaiah, and say, like, "Hey, man, this is what your this is what we think that your role can be." Now, here's a guy in the NBA that does at the highest level. Like, have you had a specific conversation yeah. with him about that? So, so, and 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 we will with Isaiah. Um, I've had it. You know, I've been coaching. This will be, at the, I believe, you're 18. That to me, that's the whole key. When you talk about buy-in, you have to have an example. You have to have data, or there's got to be something where that player can say, "Okay, I see where you're going with this." Mm-hmm. There's an end game, and it, and it turns out, or it looks successful especially if that role maybe isn't something that they envisioned that they were right. going to have. Um, so you use the NBA all the time because it's so true. And you never want to just, you know, we were not, I never tell a guy, hey, you, you can only do this and you're never going to be able to shoot. It's more of like, okay, let's look at and analyze your game. What are you really good at at the end of the day? All right, let's focus on that. And then the things that you're not good at, all right, let's, let's try to get you a little bit better, but like how can you be efficient in your weaknesses? Right. And so, like, you know, Parker Fox, for instance, he can have a major – he's more of a Draymond Green type of guy. He can have a major impact on our team and help us win, and now it's just that role definition. And it's not saying we're not letting you play your game, but Parker knows he's not a guy that's going to pick and pop and shoot four threes a game. That's mm-hmm. not his game, right? But if he can roll in short roll – and set a ball screen and fly to the rim and play above the rim and use athleticism, that's to his advantage, right? Now we got to make him a better passer. So it's like, okay, Parker, you know, you set aside ball screen. If you can short roll and we can get it to you quick like they do Draymond, now can you be a guy where now you're a decision maker and you're a playmaker? Can you make a tough two? Can you drive it and get to the rim? Can you pass and find guys cutting or guys spacing? Now you're adding value, but we're also taking your game and putting you in a position to be successful. And, and again, it's just understanding. You know, you've got to you've got to be a guy that gets seven, eight rebounds a game. That's using mm-hmm. your athleticism. And if you do that, again, people will notice. The right people will notice. Right. People want to know why teams win, as you know. And okay, what that Gopher team that finished you know bottom of the league in the Big Ten last year takes a huge jump. Okay, why did that happen? Who helped them make that huge jump? And again. Your numbers don't have to be great. We could have five guys averaging double figures, but if we're winning, we make the NCAA tournament, everyone wins, right? Right. right. And, and, and so it's selling guys on that, but it's also selling on if you want to look really good and you want to help this team and help yourself in the process, let's play to your strengths. Here's yeah. who you are. And let's let's heighten that. Let's be the best at that. You know, if you're the best at that, God, that's pretty good. Yeah. 
You know, Isaiah, if you if you're the if you're the most versatile defender in the Big Ten, and that's that's who you become, I guarantee you somebody at the next level is going to notice that. You know, Parker, if you lead the league in in rebounding, that's going to get noticed. You're we're in a power five, right? If you're if you're the leading rebounder in the Big Ten, like Jordan Murphy was when I was a coach here, right? That's going to get recognized. Yeah, you know, yeah, and letting them letting them have that awareness and opening their eyes to that because I think sometimes kids. Kids, especially young kids, can kind of have their blinders on and be singular focused on like, no, that's that's what I'm, you know, that's this is what I'm doing. This is right right here. This is who I this is who I think I am. And if you just take that off a little bit and give them like, no, nah, well, you you are this, but you also like you need to work on these these weaknesses and this and this and this and then you and then you ha- then you give them an example of like this is this is a guy that you can kind of model your game after. Boy, that can just blow their minds. Well, we got player Peyton Willis that's going through NBA workouts right now. And mm-hmm. Peyton was, in my opinion, a easily top three guard in the Big Ten. You know, averaged 15 a game. His numbers were crazy. You know, and, and, and Peyton will tell you, we've talked about it. You know, Peyton, you're not making the NBA because you averaged 15 in the Big Ten. They don't care about that, right? You're going to make the NBA and be a longtime NBA player if you can make the open shot and if you understand how to play and you can get the ball to the guys that need to have the ball. Right, right. right. So, yeah. Again, yeah. But that, and that's how yeah. you're going to wow. When you go to these workouts, you know, great. You know, they, they love the numbers that you did. But if you go to these workouts and you're the guy that you never turn it over and all of a sudden you go five on five or three on three, your team always wins and you're getting guys shots, that's going to stick out to these guys because that's going to be your role, dude. Yeah. Like, and and it's, not, it's not a coach trying to be negative. It's not a coach trying to break a kid down it's a coach saying I want you to make it I'm trying to give you the blueprint for how you're going to make it and in reality here's what it's going to be and there's nothing wrong with that because if you can do that and you could be one of the best at doing it dude there's a place for you and now you're living out your dream yeah right like I played with Chris Humphreys and I think if he was being honest you know I talked with him and his dad like he finally figured that out that like okay I was a scorer my entire life and I was really good at it, right? Mm-hmm. Led the Big Ten in scoring, did a great job. Okay, goes to the NBA. That might not be your role, right? So either are you gonna are you gonna fight that and and be a guy that never gets really paid or kind of like in and out of rotation? Or are you gonna say, you know what? All right, what do you need me to do? Well, I think I want to say he goes to Brooklyn and ends up leading the league in double doubles. And it wasn't crazy numbers, but he led the league in double doubles. Well, now all of a sudden you're getting super paid. Mm-hmm. And now you have a niche because you said, you know what? All right, I'm not consumed with being maybe needing to be the leading scorer. Yeah, I don't maybe need to be the the guy that gets the first or second option. But I know this: I have a niche, and I'm a starter, and I can get maxed out if I get ten rebounds a game, you know. And then I get my scrap buckets, and all of a sudden I'm at twelve and ten. And now all of a sudden I'm playing for 15 years and I made over 70 million dollars. Yeah, it's like, w- what's wrong with that? Last time I looked, <laughs> that ain't <laughs> a bad. That ain't, if you're telling me like, yeah, man, you know, I played in the NBA for whatever 14 years, I made over 70 million, and uh, you know, I averaged a double double, or I averaged 10 and eight. Well, I'm like, damn, yeah. that's yeah. a hell of a story. Like, wow. But some guys look at that and they're like, oh man, that's it. It's like you're crazy. Yeah, you're crazy, so, man. Like you're e- crazy. E- so you either keep your ego. And you keep your pride and you don't make that money or you look at yourself constructively and honestly put your ego away and say like, all right, if I need to adjust my game to stay in this league, then I'll adjust my game to stay in the league. 
and you might carve out a decade in the exactly. league. <laughs> you, may, you might go from the leading scorer in your conference or your team into like you're saying, "Hey, I'm I'm out here just hustling. Exactly. I'm just hustling." You look at you look at like the the bench players in the NBA. They're making millions of dollars. Millions of dollars to to look good in a warm-up and to to you look great in the layup line and then go chill on the bench. You look at there's two players that stick out. You look at Max Struess for the Miami Heat, who's okay. a starter for them right now. Max Struess started off at a Division II, right, and then transferred to DePaul. You look at Duncan Robinson, who just got Max. I think Duncan's just signed for over $90 million what? for the Miami Heat, who's not even in the rotation right now because of what he does. Elite, elite shooter, right? But he's 6'9", which, again, it goes back to kind of Isaiah's point. Duncan Robinson started off as a Division Three player. He was Division Three, transfers to Michigan, plays for John Beeline, transforms his game. But the thing about Duncan that you can't teach, Duncan is 6'9", a long 6'9", and he can shoot the cover off the ball. Well, that's if, if you're 6'9", and you can shoot it like that, that's an elite talent. So Duncan didn't go crazy and say, God, I don't want to be put into a, a, a hole of like I'm just a catch and shoot guy. I need to work on my game and be somebody I'm not. Because if he would have done that, I'm telling you, he wouldn't be in the position that he's in. What he said is, you know what? Yeah, I need to expand my game a little bit. Maybe put on the floor one or two dribbles. You know, I'm not a guy coming off a ball screen trying to dime guys up or get crazy with it. I stay in my lane. If I can make every single open three, right, and every single open jump shot, there's going to be a spot for me because I'm six nine and I can shoot it at a high clip. Yeah. Well, he does it. And now all of a sudden, again, he's making over $90 million because he, he said, this is who I am. You know, Max Struess now made the NBA because he realized, hey, I need to be like a J.J. Redick and just make every open shot. I don't need to, like, prove I can dunk, right? I don't need to prove that, like, in ball screens I'm crazy with my handle and I can dime guys up. No, it's I'm staying in my lane, right? Or guys that just protect the rim. You can make millions of dollars by just blocking shots if you're tall. So, like, every tall guy now wants to be able to pick and pop. It's like, okay, that's great. Now, if you can do it, do right. it. But if you can't, okay, then just rebound and protect the rim. Because if you do, it's proven you will get paid for that. And that's okay. You don't need to be – everybody need to be Dirk, you know? And that's fine. So, you're just trying to convince these guys that there's so many ways. If you just find what you're good at, and if you can be one of the best at it, there, there's a spot for you. Yeah. When did you, when did you fall in love with the X's and O's? Always? No, not always. You know, because when you're younger, you don't – you look at it – when I was a player, I looked at it differently. You know, you you're, you look at it more like you're the player making the plays. Yeah, um, yeah. Which is, is the truth. Um, you know, I think early on in my coaching, you put value in it, but it wasn't until probably I got to Northern Iowa and I worked with Ben Jacobson, who's a really good offensive coach, yeah. where I really started to think about – and he would challenge me to think about – you know, dissecting the game and thinking about it from an X and O standpoint. And then, you know, I go to Nebraska with Tim Miles, who just, he's a, he's, he's an outward thinker, thinks mm-hmm. differently. Mm-hmm. So I was able to process and think X and O's differently that way, which really helped. And then when I got to Minnesota and worked with Richard, um, he made a great point. You know, he's friends with Billy Donovan. And he talked about Billy would always say the, the best way to gain a player's respect and trust is to get them open shots. Hmm. And I thought that made a lot of sense. You know, it's, if you think about it, it's simple, but it's so true. If you can put a player in position to be successful, 
they're going to trust what you say. Mm-hmm. Versus if you don't, they're going to question, all right, does this guy know what he's doing? So what it, what it, what it, what that line just made me do is realize like, all right, understanding your players offensively, what can they do? What can't they do? What is the defense going to do? And then how can I manipulate that so I can get Jamin battle, Jamison battle um, shots? How can I, how can I get him in a position where he's able to score the ball or whoever it might be? Mm-hmm. Because I do think that's true. Um, you know, players do respect that they want. They want to know a individually that they're getting better. You know, no player wants to be with a position coach or with a head coach, and you feel like God, this guy's not getting me better. Mm-hmm. Or the worst feeling is you're you're ready to tip it off on a Saturday, and everything you do, that other team is just shoving it up your butt, and you're looking over, and there's no answers from the coaching staff. Right. Well, players get frustrated. They don't want yep. to look bad. Right. They they don't want to struggle, but. Conversely, if, if like, man, you, you drop that one play and it gets a guy a wide open look and it works, or in football, you design a, an offensive, you know, look and, and all of a sudden you get a touchdown or it's a, it's a great call because of what they're in defensively, well, that, the team's going to look at you like, man, okay. And they get the confidence mm-hmm. and, and belief. So I think that's huge. Yeah. So, yeah, because of that, now you're, you're, I'm now consumed with, you know, all right, I got to I gotta get these guys shots. I got to make sure they're in a position to be successful. Uh, so there is that buy-in and, and so that, um, you know, we're able to have success. I guess I got to imagine it's always, it's always evolving too, though, because as you're watching the guys, let's say in the offseason, you know, some of these guys are developing things that they didn't have last season. You're like, oh, he's got a new tool in the toolbox. Yeah. Didn't know that. All right. Well, now we can now we can do this type of player. Maybe we can design this for him because he's shown me the confidence and the trust that he could, I can put him in that spot. So, I can imagine that it's every day in practice. You're probably seeing something new, and you're well. Hopefully, every day in practice you're seeing something new, and you're like, ah, all right, all right. Well, now now I'm going to stay up late tonight. And <laughs> <laughs> no, it is. <laughs> it's it's going to be another late night because exactly. I got to come up with something else. It, it's the game within the game, and or it's you know every year you're adding new pieces. So a guy, you know. Jameson played a lot at "quote unquote" the four. Well, his matchup was different at the four because you're 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 primarily going against a little bit bigger, maybe um, not as athletic as a one, two, or a three. So he had an advantage. Well, this year he's going to play the four and also the three. Well, when he's at the three, we got to get more creative, and and he's got to take steps because now you're going to be guarded and defended by probably the other team's best athlete. Mm-hmm. Well, now how are you going to get open still? What are we going to run against a you know size and length that can move to get you free, um, you know? And it's the same thing. You look at, at other guys on our team. It, it it is. It's 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 that's the fun part of it. And that's the chess match. Those are the late nights. That's what coaches stress over. Is like, all right, how are we going to score? You know, uh, or how are we gonna how are we gonna put the defense in a bind? How can we be creative to get guys open looks? Um, to create us advantage offensively, so it is. It's the game within the game. It is. The, it's the film. It's the creativity. It's the fun part. But it's also like the God. I hope this works. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my last uh, kind of winding down here. I I am curious though about basketball on the defensive side because it seems like it's a little bit of a little bit of an issue at all across the league. Everybody just wants to score. I mean, even even we're talking right now, you're referencing just, you know, we're drawing up offensive plays and offensive this and, you know, all this other stuff. How do you incentivize and motivate these guys on the defensive side? Knowing, letting them know that's just as important to play good defense as is to score buckets. Yeah. Uh, we, you do 
everything because at the end of the day, that is what carries. You know, you 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 want to be to to obviously move the needle and really make a run. You got to be great at both. You know, you're not making a Sweet 16 Elite Eight Final Four unless you you can do both. You can't just be one dimensional. But at the end of the day, you can't always control makes and misses, but you can always control. The defense will always travel. So we do a lot with film. I mean, even breaking down, I think last year I looked at Baylor who had won it, maybe this was two years ago, Baylor who had won it, they were the best defensive team in college basketball. So we showed them, you know, probably eight to ten clips of Baylor, just really good defensive execution plays. Well, then you looked at, I went to the NBA Summer League, Mm -hmm. and the team that won it was the Sacramento Kings with Bobby Jackson. By far, they were the best defensive team in the Las Vegas Summer League. They won the championship. And then you looked at the NBA championship, I think it was the year Milwaukee won it. They were top three defense in the NBA. So you're showing guys, it goes back to the data, you're showing guys, fellas, I don't care what sport you look at, baseball, football, basketball, if you're trying to win a championship, you can't be middle to bottom half of the league in defense. It's impossible. Mm-hmm. And here's the numbers that back it up. You want to look at any championship that's won, I guarantee you if they're not number one, they're top five, hands down. College pros, it don't matter. And so that's when you tell guys, if you want to win and you're about what I think you're about, well, then this is a non-negotiable. We're not, this is not a debate. We're not sitting here going back and forth. I've shown you the data. I've shown you the proof. You guys know. Now it comes down to you. And I try to put it on them. If mm-hmm. you're about what you tell me you're about, then we're going to give it up on this end of the ball. And that's just the way it is. And if you're not going to do it, you try to have a, hopefully a locker room and up, well, then that next guy's going to do it. Yeah. And, and we'll just we'll figure out the five guys that are going to commit to the defensive side of the ball. Because, again, um, you know, going on the road, what you're going to have to do is hard. You can't rely on your offense when you're not at home. You have to have an a defensive identity, and and they they know that. And again, I think it's a point of emphasis that we make as a staff. Uh, we got players that have been around winning enough. Where I think mm-hmm. they also know that. I think that's good. I think that's the good part about when you when you when you can recruit winning. Those guys know what go into winning. They know good winning habits. Sometimes you don't recruit that. They don't know what it takes to win, so they might not value the stuff that really matters. Versus if you have a locker room full of guys, whether it was high school another college sport, they've been in an environment that's one, they get it. Yeah. And the more yeah. guys you have that just get it, that just trickles down. Yeah. And going back to kind of like your your analogy of going on the road, I, I kind of I, I think I know where you're going with that. You can have off offensive days, you know. You can have guys that just that 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 shots not going down, you can't get clear looks, whatever it is. You can be off. It's harder to be off on defense. Because yeah. defense is just about effort. 100%. Like effort, vision, that's about it. You know, and so like if look, guys, if you're going to have an off shooting day, because that's going to happen whether it's home or away, defense is going to travel all the time. You know, defense is all it can always be there to bail you out. Yeah, you can count on it, you yeah. know, because of that. It, it's 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 uh, you, you could have you could be the greatest shooter in the world and you could still have wide open looks and go oh for five. Yeah. Right. Because once it leaves your hands, there's a little bit of chance that goes into that. You know, Golden State gets all this credit for being great offensively, which they are. They're also one of the best defensive teams that the NBA has seen. Yeah. They're able to switch everything, which takes offenses out of a lot of stuff they want to do. They play with great IQ, great feel. You know, they play at a 10, right? Draymond leads the charge with their effort and energy. 
that's why also why they're so tough is yeah they can score it but like they're damn good defensively you know Boston is damn good defensively with how they play mm-hmm. um, I think they held Miami yesterday to 23 points in the first half yeah. now Miami played their part and they couldn't make shots but like I want to think Boston has something to do with that yeah so well defense can get in your head oh yeah I mean you're like oh well they didn't they didn't make any shots yeah but psychologically they might be frustrated as hell yeah. because the defense is all over them I mean that's that's the other part of it. Like, well, no, they had an off day of shooting. Yeah, well, uh, but the other team had something to do with that, you know. Yeah, it, and you know, as a team, there's nothing better than knowing you're imposing your will defensively, and there's nothing that they yeah. can do. It's almost like a it's it's a it's a satisfaction unlike any other, where you know, hey, I don't know what we're going to do offensively, but we are killing their will. Because defensively they're getting, or offensively they're getting nothing, nothing, and they're looking at you. They're giving you that look like, oh my god, this is tough. Yeah, like there's satisfaction in looking at your team in the eyes and going, man, these dudes know they ain't got it down here. Yeah, well, and that that look in their eye when they're like, oh shoot, we're in for a long day. Hundred percent, we're in for a long day, fellas. Yeah. Like that, that was the best thing for us defensively as as a football player. We were really good for a couple of years with the Vikings at stopping the run, and there's no better feeling than taking the will of an offense when they can't even freaking run the ball. You know, (laughs) it's the fundamental thing of all of football. It's what they had been doing since the game was invented. The passing stuff was just new. Everybody knew how to run back in the day. And then as us as a defense, when you see the frustration on these linemen and you see them start to bicker with each other and the running backs spiking the ball on the ground because there's no (laughs) hole to run, like you're like, yeah. Now this is fun. (laughs) Now this is fun. You got them. It's painful, but it's (laughs) 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 it kind of hurts, but it's it's kind of fun. No, my uh, my last question for you um, is, how's Bruce doing? (laughs) He's doing good, man. He uh, dogs are trip. I love the fact that you're a big dog guy. I'm a big dog guy. Um, He uh, he's got this personality, man. But he he's he's doing great. He's one of the smartest, smartest dogs I've ever. I really? mean, it's, it's phenomenal. Yeah, no, it's 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 scary. Almost to the point of like, you know, he, he's got this. He's like a grown man personality. He just, I talk to him like he's a human. Sometimes the kids are like, "What are you doing?" He's a dog, but I feel like he understands. Um, but no, he's he's doing great. Um, there's some about you know dogs, man. I don't I don't know what it is. Like you know, he uh, they're just they they get it. Yeah, you know, yeah. they get it and um never has a bad day. You know, that's no. a crazy thing. Never, never it's has weird. A bad day. They, they, dogs never have a bad day. And uh and just their their way to always they're just positive. They're they're they excited about the littlest things. You know, it kind of puts you know, in a weird way stuff <laughs> yeah. in perspective. Yeah. You know what <laughs> yeah. I mean? Like uh you buy you buy you know, uh, you could buy your animal all these expensive toys. And what do they like? They like the the twenty ounce plastic water bottle that you just yeah, bought. Oh yeah. That's a dollar because yeah. it makes noise. Or they want to play with the tennis ball till they're you know dead in the face. They don't want the you know fifty dollar gift you no. might have got them at no. Pepco that you think is really cool. You know, uh, I don't know. It's just something about dogs, man. And I love that. I love that you have a Roddy. Oh yeah. You know they get such a bad rap. They do. But I've every every Rottweiler I've been around. Um, obviously they're they're they have good owners, but. They're the best dogs. They're big and they can look intimidating, but they're just big teddy bears. No, it, it, I think so. It, it's exact, hundred percent right. And part of it was, um, you know, I, I like stuff that's that's different. Um, 
you know, and, and I, I like to kind of chop at misnomers. Like, I do think, I feel like, you know, sometimes I'll go to a dog park and, you know, because he is big, you know, he's a, he's about 100 and 112 pounds and, you know, he's just a strong, you know, muscular guy and he's got a look to him. But, you know, you could tell sometimes you go into a dog park and people are a little bit, oh, little yeah. bit leery. Oh, yeah. But then after two minutes when he's the nicest dog in there, it's like everybody falls in love with him. You yeah. know, it's like I take him um, to, you know, different different spots and initially you can kind of see people a little bit leery. But then over time they realize, oh, this is it's a big teddy bear. And then they love him. But it, there is that. So much of it is is how they're brought up and yeah. how they're raised. But I just I think they're an intelligent breed. I think they are phenomenal. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I got them from a big time breeder here in Minnesota, and I've I've never crated them. So I got them, and, and the the woman did a great job, and, and she actually did majority of the training. And I picked them up a little bit later, about four months. Uh, he's about four months old, and I've never never crated him. And wow. you know, I leave him. He runs free in my house all day. And doesn't has never ate a remote, yeah. ate a shoe, yeah. ate a piece of furniture. He doesn't jump on the furniture at all. Period. Like it, it's it's phenomenal the intelligence that some of these dogs, but but specifically, I think the Rottweiler breed has that is phenomenal to me. Yeah, the the Rottweilers have been around. There's something about their faces too, especially when they're they always look like they're smiling. <laughs> when you yeah. look at a Rottweiler right in the face, and they're kind of like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They they kind of have this like their jowls kind of go up a little bit and yeah. I'm like he's smiling at yeah. me oh yeah you know like there's I don't know there's such a fun coat. breed I, the hardest part about animals and I don't want to get dark is that you know it's like the I don't one, know they're only along for and it, you do you think about it, as they as he gets older you do kind of think about what well, damn know. you know that's what what do you that's why you got to get two you do so here's two things so I thought about that I, the, this is where I struggle is I, again goes back to to me I know how I am. Man, there ain't never gonna be another him. So now it's like, man, you get a I, female. Then. If it, you, I, I thought about that, and then my buddy, I so I worked with uh, another big pet owner at Xavier, Mario Mercurio, and he's a big cat guy. And he told me in, in San Francisco that they actually clone animals now. Now I'm not saying I'm gonna do this, but <laughs> he talked about he talked about he talked about cloning. They they could literally do this yeah. now, and and it's almost like an exact replica of yeah. You dog. don't want to do that. I don't no. think I'm gonna no, do that. But it's just it. Uh, I have thought about it as he's gotten a little bit, old, and he's nowhere near that. But like, okay, when do you do you do you do start bringing yeah. in another one, or you just say, nah, we're yeah. Good. We've kind of gone into the world of um, just always kind of hedging, and you like as they get older, you get another one, and then yeah. that you know, so it makes the loss a little easier. Look, we we are big dog. We're big so dog you would family. go with that. You would go with the theory of get another one. Yeah. To yeah. help with the loss. Yeah. So we've had we're on our fifth Great Dane. Oh. Um, so we have we have a five month old rescued Great Dane right now. She's actually I dropped her off to get spayed this morning. Oh, did you? Um Ooh. and oh. um and we lo- we lost we lost our big guy about four months ago. Uh-huh. You know, and it was co- sort of a we all the Great Danes that we've had, we it's been planned. We knew it was end of life. We could come to terms with it. This last one, Louis, was the first time there was a sudden death. Really? And it was, dude, I'm telling you, it, it, the wor- awful, awful, like it, the worst thing. <laughs> no, I, I, it's, it's, it's wild how it's it, horrible. it, 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 it was this funny. So I, I grew up uh, with him when I was here as assistant downtown and I didn't realize Great Danes are unbelievable apartment dogs. Oh, they're great apartment so dogs. So every, we go to the dog park and there was literally, I'm not even lying, six to eight Great Danes that were 
Yeah. In the North Loop. And I was asking, like, what what is going on? Because I assume they're, they're so big. Oh, they were like, dude, they are the best apartment dogs, condo dogs ever. And so that's when I really started to pay attention to them. I mean, those things are incredible. They're awesome. Great personality. They're super docile. The whole gentle giant thing is real. Um, now, as a puppy, as a you know, four and five month old, we've had her for a month. She's nuts. Yeah. I mean, she she knows no bounds. You know, she <laughs> has this the puppy energy, and she's already you know she's forty some pounds, and she you know jumps over the top of the couch, and she plays with our other. Uh, we have two small like little mulchies, like little 10, 12 pound dogs, and. She just like she'll fall over and flop on the ground and jump back up and then jump over the chair and like you are an idiot. Yeah. But once they get that out of them, <laughs> but then she's also like an infant. She'll do that for ten or fifteen minutes and then boom, she's down. Yeah, she sleeps for like two hours. Oh, I realized during the pandemic. So when we all got shut down, how much dogs sleep? Oh my! So God. I was at my house and I'm thinking, you know, because we we were we couldn't go into work and you're you're doing the zooms, you're doing everything from home for three months or whatever. And I'm thinking, great, you know, I'm gonna be. Sp- Bent because this dog's gonna be oh yeah you know, trying to play no I'm like this guy sleeps 18 <laughs> hours a day I'm like I don't feel guilty anymore yeah, going no. to work it's like all oh, you do I look over it's like he'll play walk around next I know sleeping yeah it's like dude what do you like and then I I looked up I googled it I had no idea that they sleep like average of like 17 hours a day or something crazy yeah, like that yeah big big breeds that's the that's the benefit of having big breeds you might throw the tennis ball with them for 10 or 15 minutes and after that they're like eh, I'm oh, good. Yeah. yeah, I'm good. I'm gonna take a nap. Yeah. A little snoozer. We do we do no walks. It's great. I know. Nothing. Let them out in the backyard, <laughs> chase a ball, run around. But then it's like, all right, we're we're good. Yeah. <laughs> well, my suggestion is, Bruce needs a friend. Yeah. Bruce, as, as he gets a little older, he'll he'll need a friend, and maybe not maybe not a puppy, but you know, a young one that'll uh, that'll make. I'm telling you, I I will feel bad for you when I, when the day I hear that 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 dog passes because it's gonna be. It's rough. Yeah. No, I, I, I uh, again, you don't ever want to look down at or think about it, but you know, it's inevitable. It's and inevitable. So you're yeah. always trying yeah. to, as a dog owner, even with people, it's like, you, we, we, you know, it's not forever. And you just, no. you, you, to your point, it's, it is, uh, it's not a, uh, a good time. So as yeah. a, every time I see a dog owner that is going through it, you know what they're going oh, through. You yeah. just, you feel for them. Yeah. Cause yeah. we all know somebody. Well, like, you know what? Just enjoy Bruce and his laziness <laughs> for, for much we longer. He'll, maybe will. he'll be that one dog that lives for like 25 years. <laughs> <laughs> We're on that path. <laughs> all right. Hey man, thanks so much. No, I appreciate, appreciate it. it. Appreciate right. being on. See ya. Well, that is going to do it for us here at Unrestricted. I really want to thank Coach Ben Johnson for his time. Look, if you're a head coach of any any team at any level, I know that you're a very, very busy person. So I want to thank him for his time. Um, I do apologize. You know, we kind of barely scratched the surface on on all the new th- happenings in college sports, specifically basketball and football with the NILs, the the name, image, likeness things, the transfer portal, stuff like that. Uh, so maybe, you know, like a lot of my guests, maybe we'll have a part two with Coach Johnson. Maybe as the, as the season approaches, we can kind of get a preview of what the Gophers men's basketball team looks like. And we kind of get into some of those things um, that I think are really percolating and exploding around college sports. I want to thank you guys as the fans. You guys are awesome. Thanks for reaching out on my website, benlieber.com. Thanks for reaching out on the Apple Podcast platform on the comments section thank you for all the ratings uh you guys keep unrestricted uh at near that that five star level so i really appreciate that as well thanks for spreading the word and spreading the love i want to thank jack's cafe obviously i can't do these podcasts without some of these uh these sponsors and support so thank you at jack's cafe please if you are looking for a, a, a just a date night with um 
your spouse, your date, whoever it is, with, with two people or all the way up to 200, 300 people, they can, they can house everybody. They have the banquet space to do that. So whether it's just you out on a date night or you're looking for something for a larger group, whether it's a wedding, a reception, uh, end of school gathering, end of activity gathering, Jack's Cafe can handle it. Please reach out to Jack's Cafe at J-A-X-C-A-F-E.com. And remember, they're serving steaks, not trends. So until the next time, I hope you guys all have a wonderful week and I'll see you later. Bye.